guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to recognize our incredibly generous sponsors, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich, Fallowich Construction Services, Jim Cover, Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Danny Arroyo, WorkSafe Consulting, and Building Omaha, a collaboration between the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association and the IBEW. Thank you, one and all. You are true believers in workplace safety and health, and I appreciate you. All right, let's get into today's episode. Hi, guys. This is Doug Fletcher, and you're listening to What's the Hazard? It is Friday, September 23rd. I'm sitting here with my friend and colleague, Danny Arroyo of WorkSafe Consulting, and we have a guest with us today coming to us from central New York, which is very exciting. Um, wow, we, you know, we're kind of a regional program, and so to have a professional a guest come in from central New York is exciting, and we welcome you. Uh, my guest is Liz Kiggins. Um, Impact Ergonomics, is that the name of your company, Liz? Yes, it is. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, welcome, welcome. And Danny, thanks for being here. Um, One of the greatest joys I get from this program, I've been doing this for almost three years now, and one of, truly one of the greatest joys that I get is meeting new people. I love networking with other professionals, uh, other occupational safety and health specialists. Um, You guys are such an interesting niche that um, you are not the typical safety and health specialist, as we will discuss, but introducing new businesses to the, the audience, I think is fantastic, and discussing aspects of our profession that I have very little experience with is also really interesting to me. So I am looking forward to this. Um, Again, your company is Impact Ergonomics, and you are a physical therapist. Yes, I'm a physical therapist. That's awesome. Certified ergonomics specialist like Danny as well. Mm -hmm. And And I've been doing this, I got into this niche uh, 2009, and then I started on my own in 2013. Oh, very good. And so, well, that's quite a that's a good run. So you've had your own business for almost 10 years now, or is yeah? It- I don't really count the first three years because it was not very. It was hard to break into a little bit. Definitely, but- <laughs> I, I think we both experienced that absolutely. Those first years um, are in, incredibly challenging and exhilarating at the same time and exciting and all sorts of, you know, uncertain. It's a roller coaster. It is a really interesting roller coaster, but one that I know that we have talked, I would never go back. I could never go back to being an employee at this point. I would never give it up. Well, interestingly, I have been to both occupational therapists and physical therapists just personally. Um, So I know a little bit about the distinction between the two. There's probably very little distinction from an occupational health application but tell me about you know how you got into the occupational side of the practice and then what kind of services you offer what you do for your clients how did I get into this was that your question yeah why did you go into occupational setting Uh, you know I was in outpatient orthopedics and treating patients and I actually transitioned into managing and I was even possibly thinking about opening my own uh orthopedic private practice and you kind of come to that crossroads of like kind of like what you're saying like do you want to be well you know I wanted to have my own autonomy I definitely wanted to be my own boss so to speak but I really found that as I was working with patients I kept telling them the same things over and over again about 
how they could have like prevented this problem in the first place. And um, it just, and I just had this natural draw to the work workplace and work, what they do at work. And um, there were a couple, two therapists in my area that were doing this work um, and went, and I kind of decided I was going to reach out to them. And that's how I broke into it. I started as their employee um, and I just left the outpatient. Um, other things were happening um, as well. And I, I was looking at uh, insurance as well. And the, oh, this, the constant struggle with getting paid and everything was being whittled down and you had to, then it was like, almost like you were being dictated what to do with your patients based on what insurance they had. Um, so I just kind of jumped off and I was underemployed for a while because the people that I started working with, um, they didn't really have, they, they just, they were like gracious to take me in, but they didn't really have enough work for me to do at the time. And then that relationship built and then they actually, um, they moved away and I sort of just, that's when I started my own. Cause I, I just started networking with safety people and learning about that whole job. I didn't even know about safety professionals. You know, when I started out as a PT, but when I decided I wanted to do more and more of this, um, just started networking and just took the leap. And then, uh, I got one, I, I was um, asked to speak at a conference, a, a Syracuse healthy, um, I think it was like a just for the overall healthy uh, well-being that's when it started coming up very just in the beginning with work with the uh, industrial settings like having wellness coaching and you know you know investing in that type of thing interestingly on a side note sorry i remember telling someone about what i do and she was like oh Oh, that's probably the first thing they're going to cut, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> they just did like, it's so new back then. People didn't understand like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's actually going to save the company a lot of money. Um, so fast forward, that just segued into my first client. And then, you know, safety professionals talk to each other. And if they like you, they will recommend people. And that's how I got my other business was all through word of mouth honestly, and my winning personality, I think, mm -hmm, too, helps. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yep. But, but, you know, and one of the safety uh, uh, EHS guys said to me, he goes, you know, you, he goes, you um, prevented one injury. If when you prevent one injury, which you have already, he goes, you, this, this pays for itself. And then everything else is extra. So that's a great way to look at it. Um, it should be on your uh, website. Yeah, I know it really should. And so, let, let me what, so talk about the services that you provide, and what you know, what what when we talk about occupational therapy or physical therapy in a in a workplace setting, uh, it I think people have a tendency to think of it as almost clinical, as it's it's, it's reactive. We are yeah. treating injuries or something, or treating. Um, soreness and things that our employees are experiencing, but it's a lot more than that. And it, it tends to lean more toward the preventative side, if I'm Absolutely. not mistaken. It's so hard. Don't you think, Danny, for especially people that aren't in the workforce, when, when you're working with the workers, they get it. But when you're telling someone about it, they, they just automatically go to that clinical, you know, model. Um, it's very, it's very unusual. Um, yes. The way that you and I practice is very unusual. 
that's something Liz and I talk on a regular basis. We actually have like a standing monthly call. Mm, nice. Um, <laughs> and we always just joke about it's just like the Wild West. Just it, it and, is. And she and I, we're both very preventative, but we even practice very differently too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's yeah, always preventative. But mm-hmm. we're the end game is the same. Mm-hmm. You know, right. we're there to look at people and, and, you know, we're both looking at how people move and how they stand in postures and how they interact with their work station and give them coaching and advice in terms of how to make it more efficient and better for their bodies, as well as the ergonomic design of things. Um, But that's where we're unique. You know, I remember looking at a situation at a company where a worker was extended on their back underneath um, a product that they were overhand use. And the ergonomist was, uh, the EHS guy was looking in terms of, they were lifting something up. And so he was looking at it in terms of what equipment they could provide to keep him in that position. And all this person was doing is they were actually like lifting a product up that was heavy but they were sizing it. And I was like, well, why don't we just make that lighter? Um, so it's not as much of a magnitude of force and, and, you know, because they're, they need to do that position, but they don't have to do it for so long. And so it was just like our different like mm-hmm. ways of looking at a situation can be different there. I think they focus so much on the engineering fix in terms of like bringing new equipment in and, um, I know maybe that wasn't the best example because I do look at things more from a postural point. But I was, you know, thinking muscle force and muscle mm-hmm. use in that example. But is, so is that the primary focus of your work is then the evaluation of these work activities and looking for interventions, try to reduce some of those risk factors. Uh, so I'm going to refer to that as ergonomics, and I am by no means an ergonomist. I know just a little bit about it. But is that That's- what people are typically retaining you for? That's one piece. They're really looking at me to teach people how to not twist their torso when they're turning 90 degrees, you know, pick up their feet a little bit, um, coaching them, kind of like how a coach is on. I mean, Danny, we talked about this analogy of the sports, Um, but it is similar because we that's their work, their task and how they move their bodies. Um, You know, if someone's holding something with two hands, and they're trying to maybe screw in a, a connector with their dominant hand. And, you know, we're seeing it as, well, geez, that, that static load on the other hand is getting fatigued. And do we really need to, um, they need to either do more micro breaks or maybe we need to bring a fixture in so they don't have to do that static load. So it's just, you know, so that's the pure preventative, primary prevention. Then there's that early kind of like, I don't want to say early intervention. It's when people start to have aches and pains, they, things start, and I don't like to use the word pain from OSHA, but discomfort, we'll say, mm-hmm. or yeah, numbness you. and tingling, non-specific presentations of micro stress in the body. <laughs> I love and that. Yeah, exactly. Then we'll, and then we'll coach them into like, okay, what is causing that? Is there something you're doing at home? Because we can't, you know, neglect the home stuff as well. Um, or is it something at work, that task? Is there something in their history? That's where kind of like our medical background can come out and we can kind of weed out like maybe some of the risk factors that they're doing, that they are employing. Um, and, you know, usually it's something they're doing to themselves <clears throat> intrinsically. It's not so much the work 
you know, you could have the best ergonomic work set up. Like look at an ergonomic chair. Like Danny and I go in, people have these ergonomic chairs, adjustable $2,000 chairs, and they sit in it all crunched in and they're like, I don't know my neck, I got a headache. And mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> like, well, let's talk about posture. <laughs> right. You said something really interesting a moment ago. You were talking about the EHS person at the company where you were doing your consultation, looking at something with a specific um, perspective which I know that I do, having been doing this work for a long time, you develop a perspective, whether you're aware of it or not, and to bring a professional in who has the skills and training that the two of you do, but from a different angle, you know, to look at things differently, I'm always, how can I engineer this to make this better? But I rarely ask the question, do we actually need to do this in the first place? That's not usually the, the question that I'm asking, and oftentimes I think that maybe that is the first question that should be asked. Maybe we don't need to do this particular activity. We certainly don't need to do it the way that we've done it for 40 years, and now we're you know kind of married to that activity. So I love the idea of having a different perspective, even professionally a different perspective. I think there's a great value in that. So Yeah, where are your eyes and ears, too? I mean, Danny, please chime in. Okay. This is like, I feel like I'm talking way too much here. Uh, It's a job interview, actually. I I don't know if you told you that. I mean, I ask a lot, like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing it this way? And you always have to preface that with, you know, you're not trying to find anything wrong. You, you literally just need to know why, because you oftentimes find with anything, like you said, if it's been done for 40 years, the answer is that's how we do it. We've always done it. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't, it might be super inefficient and causing lots of injuries, but that's the way it's always Mm -hmm. been done. So. Exactly. And so. I I like to compare between shifts. Like I look at a job task someone's having a problem with, or, you know, maybe it's a new process and I'll look at different people, different shifts and how they approach it. And I, I kind of find like a best practice that way. Um, And then I try to teach that to everybody, you know, because sometimes someone kind of like with Danny is saying, you know, they just are used to doing something a certain way. And then you get somebody maybe fresh to that area or who's open to change. And you kind of say, well, you know, if we could do it this way, how does that feel to you? You know, we talk about in terms of their body and how does it feel comfort? And I'm looking at too, you know, their posture and angles and things like that. And then, um, so that, that, yeah, like, like what you're saying, Doug, like the, you don't always look at it from like, what kind of equipment can we can bring in to make this better? A lot of times it's just their habit. What can we do to change their habit to make it more efficient, mm-hmm. uh, leaner? Because lean is ergonomic, but lean also if applies to our body use. You know, if, if, our, if we don't have to keep reaching 90 degrees and above overhead and we can keep our shoulders at our side, that is so much better for our body and it's a leaner movement too. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, you always want to try to engineer out whatever you can, but oftentimes that's just not realistic. Whether, yeah, you can't, you actually can't engineer it out, or it's just too expensive to do it. Right. So you have to turn to the training and trying to change people's movement patterns mm-hmm. and habits, which is very difficult and always takes a lot of time. It is. So. And so, before I forget, and and again, this is something that is. Um, I'm notorious for, I'll have a thought as you're talking and then I'll lose it. And I'm like, what, what the hell was that? And I don't, you know, so, but one of the things that I think is interesting is in the industrial world, we see oftentimes these job rotation approaches. 
I'm just going to move my people around. And so the guy that screws, you know, screws the widget together here uh, does that for a few hours. And I think if I just move him around or her around, I've addressed the ergonomic concerns and I'm good. And then people like you tell me, Doug, that's pretty stupid, man. So um, can you talk a little bit about job rotation and and I know people are doing that in good faith. They think they're making an improvement or they're actually, you know, doing something good. But there are yeah. some there are some pitfalls to job rotation that aren't always considered. Right. Well, you're talking like changing them from job to job, and we're gonna look at what muscles are they using? Are they gripping, pinching, and then they're going from more gripping, pinching to the next job. So they're using the same muscles and then like the cycle of that muscle contraction. Is it highly repetitive? Is the magnitude, uh, maybe the magnitude is less, but it's the same muscle usage. So I think that's where, you you know, rotation isn't always the answer. Um, maybe they're going from bending forward, um, you know, but they're still doing more bending in the next job. It's just a static bend. Uh, Danny, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, so Liz and I also work in a lot of very different sort of facilities. So, um, like, I do work with a lot of job rotation, and oftentimes I'll go into a facility and and the shift supervisors or the floor manager has set up a rotation, I think, kind of what you're talking Mm -hmm, about, mm -hmm. um, because they were told to. And inevitably, it's not really helping because, so for instance, let's say it's a fine motor job where they're going like this constantly and then they rotate through three or four jobs and they go from this to this and then back to this and then this and it's that's really not a job rotation so what you're looking for with job rotation is the specific areas of the body so we'll say like hand elbow shoulder uh back lower extremities neck um so if you're if something is high risk for one area you want to move them to a low risk area for that body um, part or mm-hmm. um, the shoulders or neck or whatever. And that's what's usually missing from those sorts of job rotations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you're just doing a random job rotation, like down a line where they're doing very similar things. Just go from A to B to C to D and then come back to A and go yeah, through Yeah, and it's, it's all again. high risk for like the shoulders or the neck or right. whatever. You're not, that's not really the purpose of right. the job and, rotation. It may not be providing any benefit necessarily. It might even be exacerbating it perhaps if you're not careful about how you do that. But I do it think oftentimes can exacerbate. I, yeah. I love talking about misconceptions and and the misconceptions of the work that you do, or ergonomics in general. And so, one of the misconceptions, and I think one of the reasons, oftentimes, that companies might be reluctant to bring in a professional like you guys would be they have this vision that it's just going to be I'm going to have to redo my entire line and it's going to be extremely expensive. And in, in my limited experience. Some of these changes aren't necessarily all that expensive. They just it's just an awareness and coaching, as you said, that you know, maybe they're not even aware that the things they're doing are risk factors that can be modified. Do you is that what your experience or well, is everything I, really expensive? I am um, I mean, I I hear what you're saying. Um, I haven't come across that fear as much as the fear of we're gonna have someone come in and everyone's going to be reporting injuries because she's telling them that she wants to know about those early nonspecific signs. And that's going to turn into recordables. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not true because, uh, so, because when you, when you address something very early on in that micro stress air phase, 
where it's not a specific sign or symptom, where it's just your body's telling you that it doesn't like what's happening. That's when things can be reversed. And then that ultimately leads to less muscle skeletal disorders down the road. Um, so I think that misconception is usually the fear. At least I, I've encountered that. Danny, I don't know if you have the same versus like equipment. Um, and I, we, I try to be very aware of a budget. Um, you know, yeah, it'd be great. It's easy to go in and say, yeah, we need to have this all automated and, you know, spend gobs of money, but that's not what they I'm there for. I'm there to coach and help their employees work better in the environment that they are. Now, if there's glaring ergonomic things that need to be engineered out, then I will definitely present those. Um, but you know, that's where I'm working with you, the professional, the safety professional, like it, within that, whatever the limits are, unfortunately, the, the budget for safety is usually not the yeah. best budget. Um, but you know, we can be creative too in that way. Um, even if we just look at like an aspect of a job and just change one piece of that, the vertical travel, the horizontal distance, um, maybe the rate or something that could change just to alter and make that person feel better and less risk. Mm -hmm. I think that fear of increased cost, um, I just think you, sh you could address it from the get-go. Whoever's bringing you in, ask about their budget. Mm -hmm. They might not even know what the budget is. It's very possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and mm -hmm. if we're talking about like the actual ergonomic reports, so when you assess the job and write a formal report, um, I think Liz and I both do it similar where we give several suggestions at the end. And I always make sure to do like very basic ones that are essentially no cost, pretty much mm -hmm. like training. Right up front, yep. Yep. And then all the way down to, you know, everything that I can think where, you know, something might be a big purchase that would be right. something that they'd need to work into like a future budget mm -hmm. to purchase if it was like a large piece of equipment or yeah. something like that. But not something that you would necessarily expect that they would implement immediately. Right, right. And, and uh, that's... And again, I'm just responding to what you guys have said, but the concern about record keeping has always been an interesting concern. Um, as an OSHA record keeping guy, um, you know, that was an agreement between OSHA and the National Association of Manufacturers back in 2002 when the new record keeping standard was promulgated. They agreed that that early intervention, everybody was interested in early intervention. But under the old OSHA record-keeping system, early intervention oftentimes meant uh, a recorded incident because of some type of restriction or medical treatment of some sort, whatever that might be. And so the agreement allowed for just what you said, that we are promoting early intervention, and by doing so, when you are just in that early discomfort phase, when you can seek out help from a professional, you can address you know, those um, discomforts early, and try to uh, prevent that exacerbation. Everybody mm -hmm. wants that, and particularly the therapist, the therapy world has been very helpful in doing that. And um, the companies that I know that utilize services like yours always benefit from it. I've never seen anybody say this was a bad idea. They all say, "Why didn't we do this sooner?" Or yeah. "Why haven't we been doing this?" And it actually keeps a lot of stuff off your log that might normally. Otherwise, oh, yeah, there. for sure. And the plus we're third, we're outside the company. People are more willing to share with us when, and, and that whole psychosocial issue. We're not like the occupational office on site. 
um, like where they go in and, you know, sometimes people get sort of like this punitive uh, interaction with an, uh, the, the employer. And then that right. just sets a whole cascade of anxiety and everyone's cortisol levels are increasing and then the whole healing process delays. So we try to avoid that. Wow, I love that conversation. Let's have that conversation. <laughs> I'm a big cortisol guy, so <laughs> obviously. But let, let that, I know this is a sidetrack, but I'm interested. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Let's talk about rice. I mean, are you oh, are you proponents let's of talk about rice? Are you okay. proponents of ice? No. Let's talk about that. So let me give you some background. I don't know. Maybe you already know this. Like Dr. Gabe mm-hmm. is the surgeon or whatever he some somebody ripped their arm off in a train they froze the arm and it was the first orthopedic surgeon to reattach it successfully and so everyone focused on the ice that preserved the frozen arm um and so that segued into ice is great ice is great ice is great and then this uh marketing doctor was like rice rest ice you know, compression, elevation. And incidentally, that was in the 1960s. So if you think about the science of the 1960s to now, it has changed drastically. And he actually recounted that whole like, okay, rice is really not valid anymore. I think in 2002 or something. Yeah, he wrote a book about it. Yeah. So, um, you know, (laughs) I mean, you know what rice, you know what ice is great for? You have someone, they hurt, it's like, here, put an ice pack on it. It will feel better, you know, kind of like that reassure. Mm-hmm. But in terms of healing, it it impedes the blood flow. And then you add to that um, not moving it, resting it. And then so you get the whole lymphatic like system just sort of shutting down because you're not, you know, moving a, uh, any of that accumulated waste through your lymphatics. And that's where swelling occurs. Uh, so I'm not a proponent of ice. Not that I don't say, you know, let's, I, I don't deny it, but I will contrast. I'll, I will recommend contrast it with heat or I just don't really bring it up if it's not something that mm-hmm. I feel necessary. You know, and I know, I think OSHA still, this is like their standard, right? Mm-hmm. Rice? Well, yes, of course. And OSHA is probably 40 years behind uh, current <laughs> medical tech and, and they're not, yeah. you know, but I, I just find that subject interesting as a former athlete, former, former athlete, let's put this into context chronologically, but, <laughs> but, um, I was always, you know, we used to stick our bucket, you know, when you would sprain your ankle, you stuck your foot into a bucket full of ice water and you sat there and screamed for about two hours until it went completely numb. And then and, you're, but you I'm a proponent. Back on the field you felt nothing. Yeah. Wrap it up and go play, you know, but <laughs> there, I mean, there's something, the immersion, like, uh, like you know, there's some. I think some compression. I feel like there because of the nerve endings, it does provide like some feeling of support and stability. But as a rule, uh, I don't know, Danny. Maybe you disagree with me. What do you think on compression and ice in general? So I've never used ice as any sort of like healing mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's more. Um, it's a pain thing. A typically, pain. isn't. It? Yeah, thing is what I've used it for. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of similar to ibuprofen, like take this, but then we need to actually fix the issue. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, I uh, I do run into a lot of people who will just sort of ice 
in perpetuity um, <laughs> right, right, right. to, to yes. get better is I think that's yeah. kind of what you're talking about. Like three about. weeks in, I'm still yeah. icing it. Yeah. yeah. And then they're like, I'm not getting better. I don't know why. But, yeah. yeah. I, exactly. I mean, I explained to them my point of view on it and usually they will take it because they're not getting better. Um, but as far as, you know, that's not what we learned it's in school at all. It's not one of the all. modalities that that's, you use typically. That's, yeah, that's yeah. not at all what we learned in school either. That, that um, being said, right. OSHA still considers hot and cold therapy to be first aid rather than a recordable yeah. modality. So, But Liz was right. The contrast, to the, there's a lot of research that shows the contrast uh, uh, helps. The value of that. Them, I, I think, too, it gives them something to do. Like, people want a little bit of empowerment. So, you know, ice and contrast heat is easy. I mean, we also, and I, I know Danny does this, too. I, we talk about protective positions, you know, neutral, don't, um, you know, for the low back, you know, no slouching, just try to stay neutral, engage a little bit. Um, and that's all, that's all the stuff we would tell them anyways. Thank you for sitting up there. So. I, was say, man, I know you directed that at me. We discussed this last time. Yeah, you, she does like, this to me all the you, time too. Well, you cannot sit up straight here. It's I am a, I'm difficult. a sloucher. I'm a habitual sloucher. Oh. That's for like the, like, I don't know if you want to talk about back supports, but sure. um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Let's talk about them. Oh my God. Like, I don't know. That's if I just came up with a gimmick like that, I could have like sold, you know, my millions of units and then be on my Island mm-hmm. in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Somebody <laughs> but is. It's, you know, it's such a, you know, it doesn't do provide really. It does, I mean, may, unless you're a power, power lifter, you know, in the Olympics, um, and they're using it for like, you know, the compression, you know, the mm-hmm. abdominal contraction there. But yeah, it's th- those are other things that people just rely on. They over rely, and they just don't. And then they then they still have back pain because mm-hmm. they're never using their core or just using techniques to protect their back in, that they already have built in. You already have back support built in your body. You just need to you know, use it. We're talking about the back support. So uh, being licensed therapists, we have to be responsible and say, if you've been, I always tell people this because you'll run into people who've been using them for decades, like in (laughs) warehouses and don't just stop using them though. Don't do that. Don't Don't, don't have, if you're a safety person, don't have, don't take it away from your employees all of a sudden like that, because they will get a back injury if Mm -hmm. you do that because they're so deconditioned that sort of built in support that Liz was talking about, which is, you know, your back extensors and all of those support muscles. Yeah. They have none of it essentially Mm -hmm. at that point because they've been relying on outside support. So if you wanted to take them away from your employees, you need to kind of lean them slowly. Yeah. That's interesting. But I can remember you guys probably neither of you were born yet, but I was when the back brace came on to the scene and everybody wanted them and every and you know, people wanted OSHA to require them. They wanted it to be a regular regulation, back support, you know, and all and we were all this is a horrible idea, um, and and everyone had them for a period of time, and and it's it's good. I don't see them very often anymore. Yeah. When I go out into the community, into the different workplaces that I visit, I don't see them as often. Uh, and I know for the reasons you just discussed, we were never really supportive of them. I do know that, as you mentioned, which I is always very astute, that trained lifters use a belt differently than someone would use a belt in an occupational setting. Right. They, they use the belt. Yeah. Uh, the the wor- workers that throw one on just think now that, that 
brace is now giving them some type of uh, exoskeletal structure yeah. that they didn't have before. You know, they can pick things up and do things they couldn't. Right. That's a great topic. What other? I love those topics. That was, those are fantastic. Um, what kind of workplaces have you had experience in? What kind of things have you been doing? Um, well, you know, I, it's, it's funny cause Danny and I are the region, like she's in poultry plants. I, I don't know where a poultry plant is around here. I mean, we have <laughs> right. some farms, but I don't, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, we have them all out here, I think, but oh my gosh, do we don't have, uh, I'm used, I'm, uh, micro technology, um, in just like manufacturing electronics things mm. like that a lot of micro um and also paper is another industry mm. i've been involved in from recycling to paperboard construction um, that's you know what i love about these industries like i there's all this like language that they use internally it's like a different you know like hay out and make ready and, you know, all these terminologies that you're learning when you go in and you, you got to learn to talk their language. So, exactly. Um, you know, and then sometimes like the tooling is one thing, but definitely when they talk about, yeah, we, we, we had a big hay out today or it went broke. Like it, I, it fascinates me. Mm-hmm. I love that. <laughs> and you do have to learn a completely different vernacular and each industry has its own language. And each company, yeah. and each within company within an industry has its own language. It's really fascinating, <laughs> and that's one of the things I love about it too. But I, I have a a company that I work with regularly, and they have equipment called like uh, convoluters and roll <laughs> compressors and loopers and all of these things. And the first time I went in there, I was like, I've never heard of any of this stuff before. But it's yeah. so it's always interesting. It's always educational. I, I really do enjoy yeah, that absolutely. aspect. Like, I think in the beginning, when I'm first working with the company in the beginning, that's one of the things I'm really trying to learn is the work processes, what they're called, what, you know, um, all those little things before I get, um, you know, obviously I'm talking to people about themselves too, but I, I like to, and maybe that's just part of like our, why we're in this niche, you know, we we kind of just dive into the details and the, the steps of what people do and, and just learning, but you know, it makes your brain sometimes go and then you go to a different site, completely different industry, uh, different set of problems and, and verbiage. And so then you got to switch gears. So I'm finding that. And the, well, you're going to have to train them your vernacular as well. At some point when you're doing the educational piece, um, you probably speak a language that, they slash we don't understand quite as well. So there is, you know, there is a communication issue there as well. So, yeah, I, I try not to use too many clinical words. I really try to keep it, um, very like simplified and so people can understand, you know, I don't want to come off as some like, like, uh, nerd nerd in terms of like the body. Like I don't say you're extensor carpi radialis. (laughs) Your multifidi need to be straight, you know? <laughs> Good, thank you. Well, you have to, yeah, you have to say it so that people understand. And that's just like healthcare across the board. So, yeah, like, unless we're I don't really. With engineers, okay? Engineers <laughs> right. drive me crazy. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I have engineers in my family. I can say this. Yes, okay. you can. 
so like for instance I really never use the terms like flexion and extension which are very specific terms in in the body mm -hmm. because everyone generally thinks that if something is bent it's flexed and that's not true um, so it's very confusing to people so you might say like if you're teaching a stretch like bend your wrist so your fingers are pointing up like I would okay. never do if I was teaching a group of people to stretch I would never call this wrist extension because but it wouldn't make it any sense to them and it yeah. they wouldn't carry it over long term and I they see. probably would disengage pretty quickly too <laughs> during the training because they wouldn't understand what you're saying yeah so Bend it up, bend it down. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. okay, just for my own edification, abduction and adduction, I get them wrong all the time. Which is which? Yeah. Which add is adding away. to the body. Okay, so out is add and in is ab. If I was, like, referring and to my legs. Outward is abduction. What's that? Inward is adduction. Yep. Okay, so, so in is add. Add. You're yeah. adding to your body. Okay, and, and ab is out. Yeah. Oh, okay. see? I said it, and you, I didn't say it clearly, so you didn't understand. So you're adding your arm to your body, Add. and you're adding your leg to your body. Okay. So, like, your trunk. Perfect. That's how I learned it when I was in grad school. Okay. You're adding it. Okay, perfect. I love and it. Thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have been, I, I've been using those terms for 40 years, and I probably know, get them right about every other time, which is. And usually, like, if you're looking at actual medical documentation, it will have, like, a D, D, in all caps, and then the rest in mm -hmm. lowercase, because they just get confused a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just and so, board. so tell me, uh, you know, other things that you might do for your, for your customers, your clients, the, the ergonomic assessment, the coaching and training, um, are you a proponent of um, pre-shift stretching type things, or what, what kind of things do you recommend for them? Um, you know, it depends on the job and the population. Um, I, I think though, if you did a pre-shift warm-up, that may look differently than what I recommend they do in terms of like recovery movements, um, even like how they do them and how many. Obviously, uh, I also think about um, stretch uh, programs in terms of what are the job demands. What do they need to do that job? Do they need full arm overhead? movement or do they need full like squatting down to the ground um knee hip ankle motion because they work really low and so maybe that program needs to be um modeled so that they can maintain those motions in those joints and those muscles mm -hmm. so um, i'll do something like that you know in terms of like static versus like how much I, I don't do a lot of like static holding um i do more like joint motion to end range then bring it back um just to kind of you know get that joint uh ready for work in terms of like a pre-work um warm-up so i you know stretch groups it's those are so tough because oh you know you get people who you know if you have the group too big then you have this sometimes or too small, you got a group think and nobody wants to do anything in front of somebody else because, you know, these grown people are shy or, you know, mm -hmm. they're too cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you got to overcome that obstacle, um, you know, and where they can do it. Do they have the space and things like that? But, I, you know, overall, I think it is something useful to have just another layer to add, um, as well as the training. Um, I usually... I like to do like material handling training um, versus just lifting because, you know, a lot of the concepts you do for lifting, you're going to use for carry, push, pull, 
as well um, in terms of, you know, engaging, looking up, you know, your back position, things like that, keeping things in close. Uh, so those, that's another piece, like the material handling training, um, office workers. You mm -hmm. can't ignore our office workers. Mm -hmm. um, although, you know, a lot of them, you give one person a lumbar support. Oh my God, everybody wants one. You'd rather <laughs> they need it or not. Right. Of course. <laughs> you gotta be careful with that. The chairs too. I gotta be careful with, uh, depending on what the company policy is. I try to stay within their policy and I never promise a chair to anybody. I Never promise anything, anything <laughs> to right, anybody. No, right. no, never. Well, I mean, there's companies I go to on a regular basis, so I'm part of their ongoing ergonomic assessment. So when their new people come in, I, I tell the first thing I say is, I'm just, we're going to work with the chair you have. You, you, we have to follow the company policy. I can't, I, I can't say if this chair isn't perfect that we're going to be able to get you a new one. So, right. you know. <clears throat> of course. I, I nearly lost my job with OSHA over a chair. Really? So I, I wanted a chair, and then I started, you know, and then I had a buddy that was a doctor who wrote me a note, yeah, Fletch needs a chair, and I brought that in, and my boss was furious that I, oh. I think the guy might have been a urologist or something, I don't know exactly <laughs> what he was, but, you know, it, uh, but, yeah, promising the chair is always kind of a, a problem. I do think, it's interesting, again, the group think mentality, particularly in the office settings, that they see one person receiving some type of a special... I don't want to say accommodation necessarily. That's probably, yeah. Yeah, but all of a sudden now I, I have that problem or there is a, there is a lot of that, it seems. Oh. I don't deal with office safety personally. There's a few different ways that you can approach that. The, the employer should have some sort of policy in place for like what they provide and when and why. Um, and otherwise, it generally is approached as an accommodation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's probably the most common thing that I see. There are some employers who just, you know, want to upgrade their equipment. And so they want recommendations for a great chair yeah. and a great desk. Um, what I see more often is it, uh, being used as a reasonable accommodation. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Yeah. What about definitely. you, Liz? For yeah. I, mean, I think I could get away <clears throat> with a lot of just, you know, adding in a monitorizer, um, sometimes just that little small stuff. Uh, even a, a new mouse pad, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be high ticket items. I think, I think people just really like the individualized attention and for their specific need. Um, you know, there are, you can kind of get a feel and I, you know, Danny, I think too, being healthcare professionals, like you kind of get a feel for somebody, like if they are just, they're just fine with how they set up. They just want to know the basics. And then you get that person that just maybe um, feels like, you know, who knows what's going on with them and the employer. Um, so I just, I try to just make sure like they understand I'm listening to their need and responding. Um, and and uh, there are those that say, I insist on having a lumbar support or I want to have a new keyboard. And um, that can be a little challenging, but, <clears throat> you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be big ticket items like chairs and desks. It can be small ticket, you know, vertical mm -hmm. mouse, you know, and most companies can have some sort of budget with that. Yeah. Um, I, I worked that out beforehand, obviously, you know, what, what are you willing, like Danny's saying, what are you willing to provide to your employees? Um, and, and, you know, many people too want to just bring something in on their own. They just want to know what it is they need. So, yeah, I think that sort of 
is a big reason why the employers need to have some sort of policy. Um, because with everything that we do, we aren't the decision makers. We make right. recommendations. We use yes. our knowledge to make recommendations that will be the best in the best interest of that employee, but we're not going to buy or not buy equipment oh. for an employee. That's, oh, no. that's no, the no. employer's decision. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I drive a Subaru. And every two hours, we my drive the same Subaru. We have the same car. <laughs> we share a car, actually. So every two hours, the Subaru tells me that I've been sitting for two hours. You know, the little oh, really? the little screen pops up. The car has been wow. running for two hours, which I used to find an annoyance, although it just pops up momentarily, just very briefly. You know, but just the reminder that you've been stationary for two hours, and maybe it's time to pull over and take a break. Um, and I, we, we had that when I was with the government, we also had, there was a period of time in the federal government where they were very, um, focused on office ergonomics. And so they would actually freeze our computers on an interval. So your computer would basically freeze up, forcing you to get up and do some, you know, move around, get a cup, whatever that was, use the restroom, whatever it compelled you to do that. Inevitably, it was when I had a deadline and I had to get something out in 10 minutes and then I would freeze up. Um, that software still exists. Does it? Yeah. I, I, I was so <laughs> I used to like just, uh, that used to drive me crazy because I was yeah. always on a, on a tight timeline. But, but I think those, are those, do those things, is that beneficial? I mean, is that useful for people to take periodic breaks throughout the day maybe this isn't something that you even recommend or discuss but <laughs> like the oh, sitting is a new smoking that yeah thing. yeah um, well move we just move less as a society now um i think people have to realize though that um yes yeah, i do they do need to move more even but it doesn't need to be these drastic get up and walk to the well, Chris, if people are working at home, don't, you know, you can get up and go to the laundry room or go to the water, wherever, depending where you are, but just moving in your own chair and changing positions um, is good because that allows some micro break and recovery, so forth. Um, you know, the sit stand, I, what I kind of dislike about that whole concept is people will say, oh, I, I stood, I stood all day. They're like, well, that's still stationary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're really supposed to, you know, go back and forth. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of misunderstanding about the standing desks. Yeah, that, sure. that's an interesting concept, that whole sit-stand yeah. thing. Yeah, you really need to go. And, and, but the thing is, and people don't want to do that because then they have to stop what they're doing and, you know, stand up and change everything. So it kind of interrupts, like, their whole, their workflow a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I find that most people end up just sitting or most of the time, they don't mm. use it as much in the standing position. Um, and, you know, I think really that's where kind of like the wellness part comes into play, like, you know, getting people to just do walking out, you know, exercising on a regular basis on their own, um, the overall health of somebody. Um, I don't know, Danny, what do you, I have many thoughts on it, but they're all over the place, my <laughs> thoughts. So we need you uh -huh. to come in. CDS. <laughs> yeah, I think um, so with that's uh, getting up and moving when you're like a computer worker. That's what we refer to as micro breaks. You've mm -hmm, probably heard mm -hmm. of that. 
Um, I usually try to combine it like when I'm talking to someone with, so the recommendation is every 20 to 30 minutes, but that's not realistic for most people. It's just not. So I usually tell them to shoot for at least once an hour. If they sit, get up and move, you can use that opportunity to go get more water. And then you're combining hydration with movement. Mm -hmm. Um, So two good things. Uh, And then I might show them a couple of easy stretches that they can do um, that are good for an office worker. And then you were talking about sitting for an extended period of time while driving. Um, I never thought of that, that flash as being like, you've been sitting for two hours, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, usually if I'm on the road for a long time, cause you and I drive a lot, mm-hmm. I drive um, I don't drive as much as you, but, uh, I usually try to stop every like hour and a half if I can mm. just to mm-hmm. move. Um, but two hours really, you probably should pull over and, and yeah. walk somehow move, mm-hmm. do a couple stretches. Um, and then with folks who stand, so like factory work that maybe you're sitting at a machine and you, you really don't yeah. move, like walk or anything. I usually, um, you know, I always assess if, if it's safe for them, but I might coach them to do like heel raises or marching in place. Um, okay. Or if possible, you can uh, have the employer set up a bar or small steps, as long as it's not going to be a tripping hazard in front of them. So they can put one foot up and they can oh, weight yeah. shift throughout the day. Um, so the big takeaway with, that sort of stuff is just move, mm-hmm. just keep moving mm-hmm. because eventually if you don't move, you won't be able to when you want to. So right. just keep yeah. moving. Yeah. And, and, and posture, you know, you can sit still, but if you're hunched over, you know, you're going to, that's how you're going to leave that, that you're never going to get out of that. At some point right. you're going to go, Oh, we don't know how to sit up straight anymore. Right. Um, doing little posture checks. I call them posture checks too. Like just do a posture check. You know, it doesn't have to be a whole movement, but just get out of that habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely standing workers, like their feet and their knees. Um, you know, you think about the knee joint when you're in a extended position, you know, that's actually a end range position, you know, even if they're not quite in that locked but they're still they're, the compression is is constant on the cartilage, and you want movement. That's how your that's how your joints get their nutrition is through movement and the compression. But you got to unload them, bend the knees, you know, weight shift a little bit. So that's usually a, a tip I this, talk about. The edu- educational piece is huge, obviously, and probably a lot of what what is most beneficial just the awareness of the importance of doing these things. And I'm not sure that that information has been communicated in most of the facilities that I go to, but if nothing else, everybody should avail themselves of your services to at least for that piece. If they, if they're not interested in the assessment, just the educational piece to, you know, how to keep your, your body and your mind um, sharp throughout the day and, you know, not to start, you know, developing these, long-range chronic issues that that trouble so many of us, you know. I think people respond to if you teach, like, you know, the approach is like, this is what you need to do. But a lot of people, if they, if you give them the education of why something is good for them, and that's just a better step for them in terms of self-awareness to say, well, this is why this is good for me to do. It's not because they're telling me I have to do it. It's, It's, and then they make that decision to, when you show them how and what they should do, 
then they take it upon themselves to go to that next step. Um, and I think a lot of like canned programs are like, this is, this is what you should lift for, you know, this is how you lift, but they don't go into why what's happening in your spine. Like I get into my presentations, I get into the disc, what's happening in the disc. And, and again, I'm not, I'm keeping it very, um, layman friendly. I'm not getting, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, the nucleus propulsus and too much. I'm going to say the gel middle, you know, but I get into the mechanics of the body. Nobody is exposed to that, you know? Um, and then when they understand like, this is what I'm doing to my body, then they can take that maybe into more behavioral change. And I think that's where, you know, you know, that's what if, if uh, Danny and I were in the clinic tr treating, that's a lot of what we would tell people when we're treating them about like, this is why this is good for you. So we're just taking that into the industrial world um, and applying it to what they do in industry. And I, I find that people respond to that. You know, they come up to me afterwards and they're like, oh, you know what? Now I understand. And so I, and then that opens the dialogue and the conversation to maybe, you know, what their concern is, or if they want to show me something that they're doing and it, they, they realize this is, might be bothering me. And I, you know, that opens like an ergo issue. So it's, it is a great, um, I mean, I, that's what makes it exciting for me when I have those type of interactions. Well, in those sorts of canned programs, like what you said, particularly with lifting, I find that uh, just sort of the generic programs that exist, people just tune them out and mm -hmm. like the OSHA generic trainings. Absolutely. But the reason why is my perspective on it is because they're not real life. Like rarely are you lifting someone in an something in an industrial environment where like you approach it directly head on, you mm -hmm. have plenty of space to move around <laughs> and you have a great coupling a posture and you can lift it up and you have plenty of space to turn <laughs> right. and take it over to where like that just doesn't happen. Right. So what? it's not really, <laughs> the real life conditions really just aren't addressed. And so people don't feel like it's actually helpful. Of course. But I find when you actually address the real life uh, aspects of it, like you don't have anywhere to put one of your feet. Let's figure out where we can put your other foot so that it's still safe and you can still be sturdy on your feet while you're lifting this 50 pound box. Mm -hmm. um, then they'll usually That's, listen. That is such a great point because I, I know in the past I have whipped out that lifting diagram that shows the individual squatting down perfectly around the box that fits perfectly into their space and they yeah. carry it perfectly. I've got two hours to do this apparently because, <laughs> you know, everything is perfect and everybody just like, oh, geez, you haven't been out in our plant, have you? Because it's never like that, yep. you know, which is, I think is, I think, I think people appreciate that, that, you know, many of these things are just somewhat fantasy. That, that's just not how it works out in our facility. So, yeah. well, and the person demonstrating it is always like you, a tall male. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what I've seen. And I work with a lot of small females True. who are still having to lift these like huge things and they can't even get their arms around it. So you have to figure mm -hmm. out how they can safely grab right. it to lift it. Yeah. And then also all of that weight, which is counterbalancing them and they're small. So how can they actually do it safely? Mm -hmm. Just go get the guy. <laughs> Dude, carry this for me. I'm sure that never happened that to you. That was my experience. Well, <laughs> I, I was a nurse's aide in a nursing home for a summer, so I spent a lot of time carrying people, you know. We didn't have a Hoyer lift, so I was the lift. Wow. But, which was interesting. 
You were the lift team. I was the lift team. Yeah, exactly. Two-person lift or Fletch, one or the other. <laughs> Whatever. Well, so your business specifically, um, Impact Ergonomics, and you are located in the Syracuse area. Do you mm-hmm. travel all over the state? Where, where, do, you, where do you go to provide so, your services? You know, it's funny. I, um, so I, I have some therapists that work for me oh, nice. um, that implement the injury prevention program. Um, and I have done that beyond the state lines um, because what I do is I, it, it's a model I use. It, um, I have a database web base so that we can document and for our reporting. So I can um, implement programs anywhere in the country except in Nebraska and Iowa and anywhere where Danny is. That's sort of <laughs> right. like, first of all, that whole region, I, I don't even want to go there. She is so like, it's like a different world where you guys are. It but, is. Oh, Agriculture, but we always have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But um, I have like, um, I, but I also travel myself. Yes. Um, for ergonomic assessments, mostly short term type of projects mm-hmm. um, like North Carolina and Pennsylvania and things, you know, that are Kansas. I've been to Kansas, which is lovely until the storm came in and then my plane got delayed and it was kind of people are saying tornado. I don't know. I was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was with a company that was here in, in my area. And this is like their sister site of course. Um, that I have to do some work and training. So predominantly um, that kind of stuff, I can travel. So, and it, nice. however, I do have a blackout. Oh, area. <laughs> yeah. no, we, we all do that. We, I mean, it's just professional courtesy oftentimes. Absolutely. And we're a small, I mean, truthfully, we're just kind of a small network of people that we, we all interact. And one of the, you know, like I said, getting to know you and know Danny and know people that have these specialties is such a benefit to me because I can, I can appear very smart and, and in control when I see a need that I can't fulfill, but I can refer someone who I know can do that for them, that, that is really a tremendous benefit. There's so much need for this sort of work anyways. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, yeah. every, everybody, every company I, should be <laughs> utilizing one of the two of your services and nobody else, but just one of the two of you. Absolutely. I, I truly think that, like, I really look at what we do as preventative health care, and I don't think that... I don't think that insurance-based healthcare does anything with prevention. And I think no. just with the cost of healthcare completely out of control and our outcomes are terrible. I mean, there's really no choice, but to start moving to more preventative Absolutely. options. And and we've sort of found this niche where since employers have to pay for injuries, they want to prevent them. They that have a financial incentive to prevent them. And mm-hmm. I, I think things like this will continue to grow in the future. I, I can't, and we have imagine great not. outcomes. Yes. And you do have great <laughs> outcomes, right? Yeah. I rarely have good outcomes. You guys have great <laughs> outcomes. I totally yeah. agree. And like I, I said, everywhere that I've seen this implemented, it, it is successful. The employers are grateful. They realize it's something they should have done long ago. So it's definitely catching on more and more. It's almost like becoming like every company now wants to have this part, this type of program or support. Um, you know, there are some competitors, if you want to say, uh, that do like the soft tissue work. I won't say names, but um, it's like one piece of like many, uh, it's, it's really not enough. It's very reactive. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, but people, companies may buy into that and then they realize, Oh, this isn't really helping us. Um, I've just encountered that recently, but, um, I don't want to 
go into negative mode. But anyways, <laughs> uh, yes, I do think it's growing and I can't wait to run into that person 10 years ago that was like, oh, so you're in wellness. It's not going to be a long-term. You might be the first thing. I I totally agree. Liz, I just sort of look at that as like, it's just that company's culture is either going to fit the way I practice or it's not. I'm very specific. Like I'm very holistic. We want to figure out where these injuries are coming from. We're not just going to do massage. But there's other companies where they just want, like they literally just want that. So I'm yeah. not going to be their vendor, and that's right because it's just Danny, not you going are to fit. so good like so. that. This is why I love Danny. She's just like, you know what? I don't need you. Yeah. <laughs> well, your rabbit hole, and when you want to come out of that rabbit hole, I'll be here. Right, but it's not a good fit, and and it's not a good fit, and everyone, no one will be happy. It'll right. be very frustrating for everyone. And why would we want to do that? Let's go where people want us and appreciate what we can do, and they're willing to, you know, go that go on that ride with us and you know, reap the benefits. I'm totally, I'm totally into that. That's the most liberating day of your life is when you tell somebody, no, I don't think I want to work with you. Right. That was (laughs) the best day of my professional life. So, well, so how do people get in touch with you if they want to know more about your company or get in touch with you? If, you know, well, my website does have a little, you know, email, um, impactergonomics.com. There is a contact page. They're free to fill that out. That comes directly to me. Um, Liz at impactergonomics.com. I know it's a long email. Sorry. It's not so bad. <laughs> That's my email. Um, I probably the website. I'm on LinkedIn as Liz Kiggins. Are we connected? So, are we linked? Are we linked? We'll have to be know. sure and do that afterwards if we have yeah. not. Yeah. You can find her through me. Okay. I can find her through Danny. So because yeah. this, um, this episode will be pushed out through LinkedIn if not this afternoon, this weekend. So everyone will have an opportunity on LinkedIn to see it that I'm connected with. And then Danny pushes it out through her network. And so others will push it out through their network. So probably by Sunday, you'll have reached probably a quarter million people. Oh my God. I would guess, or maybe 10,000, something like that. I don't know. Maybe I exaggerate slightly for sponsorship endorsements, (laughs) but no, no, I know it's very exciting. And, um, I love what you guys do. I, Little known fact, when I was, um, I'd gotten out of graduate school and I was working, I was employed by the Department of Defense, I wasn't particularly thrilled initially with that position, and so I applied to PT school, um, chiropractic school, um, another of of other schools, and um, at one time, almost for like a full week, I wanted to be a PT, so we're practically... (laughs) You're almost there. We're practically kin <laughs> in some respects. Uh, I've been to a number of PTs, OTs, you know. Yeah. Mental you could, health you could specialists. Pretty much sell yourself as a therapist. Yeah, sure. Start, exactly. Just start charging. Exactly. Sometimes we're mental therapists. I just want to put that in as a side note. Too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I think if I was going to recommend to a young aspiring safety and health professional what courses of study they would take, some type of counseling or mental health would be a part oh, of that. Yeah. Most yeah. De- the technical stuff, yes, but there is a lot yeah. of interpersonal uh, challenge yeah. that goes along yeah. with the job. So, yeah, this is not like a laboratory healthcare setting. It's definitely, definitely not. Right. Yeah. Oh, this has been. I've really enjoyed getting to meet you and speak with you. This is really exciting. I I am thrilled that you're out there doing this. I am. I'm a I'm a true believer. I, I don't know. I mean, I seem like a dork, but I am a true believer in what we do. This is really important stuff. 
I love what you guys are doing. Um, any way yeah. that we can help you, I mean, that may be limited to some degree with you in Syracuse, but thank you for coming on and speaking with us, introducing yeah. your company. It's great just to talk about it. It with is. other people, you know, like I said, <laughs> right. we're like, oh my God, that's why I'm like, Danny, you're never going away. I'm, you're, we are always going to stay yeah. in touch. This is fantastic. So we're going to send this information out. Um, we will put your contact information into the notes with the episode when it gets pushed out on LinkedIn. And then it'll go onto my website with your contact information. So people can find it on LinkedIn, Spotify, iTunes, Google podcast, or at FletcherSafety.com. It'll all be up there. So if you are in a state other than Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, Missouri, all right, call Liz. If you're in the mid, if you're in region seven, call Danny. But everybody needs to be doing this, in my opinion. Every company that I have ever worked with would benefit from the services that you guys offer. So thank you for being out there doing it. And, thank you um, for supporting us. Yeah, it's yeah. been a pleasure. Thanks for being a great great uh, supporter, Doug. Uh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. I don't know if you're a Syracuse fan or who you root for. Uh, well, you have to root for Syracuse. Is that kind of an expectation? <laughs> so just – as a side note for people that are still listening, that game like a week ago between Purdue and Syracuse was incredible. Did you happen to see that? I did not. What? I did not. I missed it. <laughs> so I it know. It was like, it was, I, I was probably working. Yeah, you were. Of course you were. It was <laughs> nine to three at halftime, and there were, I think, 44 points scored in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's reviving the the, the excitement. Yeah, traffic was horrendous. I think Syracuse is three and zero or something. Yeah, they're yeah they're like vying for a national championship. About time for another week. But (laughs) all right, Liz, thank you very much, Danny. Thanks for being here. Have a great weekend, everybody, and we will talk to you next week. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. A Huda Media Production.